Hey everybody, welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, today, and we're talking about survival. We're talking about being your own first response because the reality is you will be. Before we get started, this podcast is sponsored by Boss Strongbox. BossStrongbox.com. If you check them out, they have top loaders, pull-out drawers. You can build your custom box. But they provide locked, secure solutions for storing your equipment in your vehicle, whether you're a law enforcement officer in the military or just a civilian who carries around expensive stuff. Boss Strongbox provides that solution for you, including that. They're uh, Pelican case dealers as well. And they offer one of the biggest discounts with our company, which is Fieldcraft. Fieldcraft will save you 25% off. Fieldcraft, one word, 25% off at bossstrongbox.com. They're also strategic partners with us. We're building actually a custom everyday mobility overland lightweight or ultralight version of some of their pull-out drawer systems, you know, that's going to provide all the s- same solutions um, and locking and uh, rolling and pulling out with convenience and security, but also being lightweight. Now, as you guys know, if you got a payload consideration in your vehicle, it completely degrades uh, the overall capability. So check out Boss Strongbox. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Colonel Blades. Colonel Blades has been a partner of Fieldcraft Survival since the beginning. ColonelBlades.com is where you can find the best EDC fixed blade knives. It's the knife that we represent and that we uh, recommend for everyday carry. Not only is their everyday carry uh, fixed blade uh, NCO low vis preferred, uh, but we've done YouTube videos on it. We've done reviews. uh, We've done posts and education on it. It is the uh, end all be all solution when you're looking at everyday carry considerations for knives. Also, you could use Philcraft and Philcraft will get you free shipping uh, from kernelblades.com. I prefer their folder, which is the NCO low viz and a folding mechanism because you could use it for utility, uh, for everyday use, um, and you could also use it for everyday carry to use in self-defense. Check them out, kernelblades.com. Hey, guys, this podcast is uh, you know, a podcast that we do free of charge to you guys, trying to provide value and education and survival and everything related to the genre. You know, overland vehicles, health and fitness, mindset, the list goes on and the episodes will continue. Your help is appreciated. If you guys want to donate to the podcast, you could donate at Fieldcraft on Venmo, at Fieldcraft, one word, on Venmo. And we appreciate any support because any money that we could pull in order to support this podcast, we could fly guests in, we could reach out to guests, we could fly to them. We could also... uh um, just build up the quality for you guys and the value. So I appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, let's kick it off. Hey everybody, welcome back. We are talking today about being your own first response. And uh, if you guys are following my social media at mike.a.glover on Instagram, you have seen me talk about the uh, 22SAS guy who rescued all those people in Kenya when Al-Shabaab uh, the terrorist organization in Africa decided to attack and kill a whole bunch of people. They did so successfully, but without the you know quick thinking of the 2-2 SAS operator going in as a lone wolf and saving a lot of people, it would have been a uh, been a really serious disaster, more so than it than it actually was. So kudos to him. You know who dares wins is the is the uh, motto of the 2-2 SAS. I've worked with him overseas. 
and I'm just proud uh, that he, you know, stepped up and was willing to preserve life. And so that kind of got me thinking about modern survival and being your own first response. You know, since the get-go, I've been always talking about how we are our own first response. I mean, if you look at the average response time in America, which is about 8 to 12 minutes, depending on where you live, I mean, it's it's not a uh, long time. And that's, you know, mostly that's paramedics. If you look at police and more rural environments, you can get up to 18 minutes response times. The average active shooting lasts about 12.5 minutes. So it's not, you know, not hard to figure out that you are going to be your first response no matter what this significant catastrophe that takes place, whether it's medical trauma, you know, addressing uh, a rolled vehicle, a vehicle accident, or maybe even an active shooting. Look, the reality is you don't have enough time to depend on anybody else. So the theme of this episode is one, self-reliance, two, pulling your head out of your ass and, and not living in a complacent world because we're very comfortable, and three, developing the lifestyle that's going to set you up for success for modern survival. So I hope you guys like this podcast. All right, so, you know, first of all, the, what you have to understand is, you know, this, this is debatable, but there's a super volcano. It's actually off the island of Sumatra in Indonesia, a super volcano called Toba, T-O-B-A. And a lot of scientists uh, prior to, I guess, a couple articles, uh, studies that came out, believe that there was about ten to 20,000 people left after Toba erupted 75,000 years ago. And what that did is it wiped the planet of all human beings and really, you know, decimated us as a, as a, uh, as a species. And, you know, there is some controversy in it because in South Africa and caves in South Africa, they did core samples and determined that, um, that part of the Africa wasn't affected. There's even some in, uh, in the Horn of Africa where they determined the same, but there's still debates about it. And the, the reality is outside of it, a catastrophe took out a lot of human beings 70 uh, plus thousand years ago. And the fact that we're here today based on evolution, based on our you know, tenacity, our willingness uh, to survive is a testament to what we are. I mean, we're survive. We're survivalists. We're survivors. We've gone through hell and back and periods of time for thousands of years fighting to live. And you know, you sitting in your own flesh today is because somebody before you, an ancestor before you, sucked it up in the harshest conditions and got us to the point now where we're really comfortable. You know, when I do my uh, Phil Kraus Survival Seminar, which this is a mini version of that, I talk a lot about the gift that we have in freedom we have in the United States. I mean, look, we live in a free society, a democratic society, whereby we are afforded a lot of luxuries that the world isn't. I mean, I've been to Africa, Afghanistan, Libya, um, Iraq, Pakistan, all over the world and have seen what the rest of the world lives like. And it's nothing. Even in modern societies across the, the, the world, the United States stands apart from all of them. I mean, go to Africa. I mean, running water is not prevalent in Africa. 
You can't just go to a faucet and turn it on and you have a clean running water. So it's a concern. So survival and the way we look at it is different depending on where you're, where you're at. The point that I'm trying to make is, you know, when you live in a society like America, when you live in a society like America, you are spoiled to that fact. And, you know, being spoiled to that fact doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that uh, uh, being an American and being free is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, what I am saying is that having some perspective in that uh, should allow you to reconsider kind of your patterns of life and the convenience that you live in the United States. So, you know, the, the part of my discussion here is, is, is telling you that you are complacent. You are complacent when compared to the rest of the world and how the world lives. Look, when you live in Africa, for example, if you go into the bush, if you go out into the, uh, the, the badlands, for lack of a better term, you are exposed to nature, and nature will eat you apart. And so the way you consider security, the way you consider uh, survival contingencies, the way that you live is completely different. So when you take the average American who works a nine to five and they're going about their daily business, they typically don't encounter danger. You know, it, even in the, you know, even in the worst places in the United States, typically in their pattern of routine, for the most part, you live in safety. So you get up, you know, you don't worry about people bombing you with rockets, with indirect fire. You don't worry about somebody kicking in your front door. And you kind of just live your life. You get in your car, you go to work, you do your thing. And then when something does happen, it's unexpected. And typically it's somebody else. You know, rare is the case where you're truly involved in something, at least for now. And so when you look at violent crime in America, uh, violent crime has increased overall. Homicides and murders have decreased, but violent crime has gone up. That means aggravated assault. That means rape. Uh, that means uh, burglary. So when you, when you look at your life, for the most part, you're comfortable. I, I don't mean you need to be over-vigilant, uh, hyper-vigilant, because you need to be overly concerned about uh, planning for a contingency. What I mean is you, you need to create the right mindset that when you go into your life, looking at it and kind of dissecting, where are the vulnerabilities? You know, uh, one thing we did this week, and I actually just added it to IGTV, is I put up on IGTV ways to jar your own food. So uh, cucumbers is a good example, right? You take cucumbers, you put them in a jar, you add the basics, salt, water, and um, some spices, and you could preserve that food, that staple, uh, which is food in survival, for 12 to 18 months. If you did the same thing in a can, you could do it. You could re, uh, preserve it for five years. So, how many people, when they do that, think about maybe a potential worst case scenario? There's parts of Puerto Rico that have gone a year, one year without electricity. And just think about that in the perspective of your daily routine in your life. What if you lived your life and all of a sudden you woke up one morning and you had no electricity? It doesn't have to be a terrorist attack. I'm talking about natural disasters, which often turn into man-made disasters. But imagine that happened. What would you do for food, for water, for shelter? How would you take care of yourself? 
Those are the questions I want you to ask as we go through this podcast and we talk about it in depth. Okay, so one, you know, I'll just give you a little background because, you know, this is kind of reset for me and we'll, we'll communicate, um, you know, basically like we don't know you. And maybe you're a, you're a frequent listener, but maybe you're not. And if you're not, if you are, uh, we'll kind of revisit some things. But I want to tell you guys who we are. Philcraft Survival, you know, from the get-go, I was a, you know, special operations guy in the military. And then I got out of that and I did government contracting and deployed uh, eight times total with the government. And during that time, decided to start a business called Philcraft. I was actually in Pakistan in a Connex shipping container and decided to start a business called Philcraft because I wanted to educate people on being their own first response and being self-reliant. I mean, when I, when I thought about a business plan and figuring stuff out, I, went, I said to myself, there is something behind surviving, you know, seven, eight combat rotations and then seven, eight... Uh, government uh, rotations in the most dangerous environments in the world. What is that commonality? Why, why do we survive and why are we successful or thriving in those environments? So a lot of the worst case things that we've seen or that I've seen in special operations, I went, you know what? There's something here. And I figured it out. It's planning. It's the preparation. It's the equipment. It's the, it's the training with the equipment. And then it's the, it's the proper execution of all those things that lead to a higher probability of survival or success. So I did the same thing when I got off active duty and I got into government contracting and then I stepped away from that. I did a lot of analysis of, hey, why do people live versus why people die? You know, I picked up a good book called Survival Psychology by John Leach and he talks about this 10-80-10. And I won't give you the long version. I'll actually give you the short version. But the, the, the snapshot of it is, you know, 10% uh, 10% of the population is going to survive in worst case catastrophes because they have the cognitive abilities, they have, uh, you know, the aptitude, they've done training before, and, you know, p- typically first responders, military, or some formal uh, level of training puts you in that category. And what I tell a lot of people is, you know, you could be a a mechanic who understands cognitive processes and has done a lot of decision-making and be just as successful as a tactician because you could make the right decision in a short period of time. It's really how you manage stress. So 10% of the population survives because of that. 80% is about split 50-50 because they, they might make the right decision or they might make the wrong decision depending on their experiences. And then the bottom 10% are just destined to die. I mean, really, they're, they're the guys who you know jump off the third-story building on a second-floor uh, fire when they could have took the stairs. You know, the guys who jump off the boat and they they bypass the life preservers that could have saved their life, and they don't know how to swim. So, what's interesting is children also fall into that category because children don't have the cognitive abilities and development at, at a young age. So they can't think rationally and quickly through decisions that are going to save uh, their lives. So it's important that you understand that because when we look at preparation, when we look at survival, we have to be able to communicate and direct our children or direct the people who don't have the aptitude. Look, everything that we're talking about is, is really 
a way in which you deal with stress. I mean, I always ask a question in my survival seminars. It's like, how many of you have dealt with stress this week? How many of you have been stressed out? You either feel it in your bones, you feel it in your body, you know, you, you have some level of stress caused by a relationship, the workplace, or just stupid stuff that you, you encounter in the world. And the answer is everybody. So everybody is stressed out. And the effects of stress really on our lives impedes a lot of growth development and just uh, and crushes us. I mean, we are very technologically advanced, which, which has led us into a lot of, of uh, uh, in a lot of levels of complacency. But you add stress to that, and it just it destroys the fabric of our the composition of our lives. So then you take that and you go, all right, so now we take a stressful situation where I hit you with a fire hose at one time. How are you going to mitigate it if you've never dealt with it before? So when, when we're talking about this, I, I, want, I want it to be clear that this is an evaluation or test on how you deal with stress. So that, that's a lot to do with it. One of the ways that you could mitigate stress and we're talking life or death situations in fight or flight, but also just everyday life, uh, EDL, I'll call it, is one, you have to breathe. You know, breathing is often neglected because we think that if we just run it on autopilot, we don't think about it, it's going to give us uh, the life breath that we need, the oxygen we need. Well, when you're stressed out, you suppress your breath. And when you do that, it only compounds the effects physiologically, which obviously affects your mental. So when you're actually pumped with cortisol and all these stress hormones in a fight or flight uh, status, you need to start breathing deliberately in order to feed the oxygen to your eyes, to your hands, to your mind, in order to stay in the moment. Uh, that's, a, that's a huge component in survival, right? You're going to go through the fight or flight mechanism. It's how do you sustain cognitive function through your breathing, through mitigating stress in order to stay conscious so you don't check out. So you're not the guy who's like, you know, run, you know, crumbling in the fetal, crying, sucking on your thumb because you're completely obliterated by stress. It's overwhelming you. You know, if, if you take a disaster, for example, you know, I used to use the Boston Marathon bombing, which was at the finish line of the Boston Marathon where these two um, idiots got their jihad on and they used a pressure cooker to uh, detonate a bomb, killed, killed several people, injured a whole bunch, but there's a still shot of a whole bunch of people doing different things. And in that still shot, you could take away a lot when it comes to the different mechanisms or the different levels of people's preparedness. Now, a, a lot of people don't realize that you could actually mitigate uh, number one, mitigate your risk, but also increase your resiliency when it comes to stressful situations in life, but also survival, meaning fight or flight. That comes with training. So when you see somebody and they're, they're pacing back and forth and they're in shock, don't just automatically assume that they're just losing it or they're going crazy. That's actually a direct indication, an illustration of their capacity to deal with stress. If they're overwhelmed, they're laying in the fetal, they're sucking on their thumb, they're screaming, they're crying, they're doing something that doesn't allow them to get out of that situation 
or impedes their ability to survive. So that's a direct correlation to their uh, capacity to, uh, of their training, of their experiences, and their ways of dealing with stress. Another thing to, to mitigate stress is we got to look at outlook or self-esteem. There is a shit ton of people who beat themselves up every single day. They wake up, they look in the mirror, and they're like, dude, I don't have my shit together. I suck. I'm ugly. I'm fat. And, and that kind of attitude um, is what destroys our self-esteem, which literally is that thing that we walk around with every single day when we have social interactions, when we're looking at ourselves in the mirror, when we're living our lives that affects our relationships, that affects our lives, that affects our ability to deal with stress, and ultimately that deals, um, uh, uh, you know, is directly correlated with your survival. If, if in survival, you don't have a good self-esteem or a positive outlook, you can completely turn around your situation where things are bad and it com- you compound it and make it worse to the extent of where you could say, I don't have the will to live, and you, you could die. Literally with that mindset of, of having a negative outlook, you could literally leave, lead yourself to death. Because what happens is you don't have a positive outlook, you think you can't make it, you wind up getting on your knees while an active shooter is going down the line executing people because you're like, I, I just don't have the will. And you don't have a positive outlook, and it can truly affect not only your life, but the survival outcome as well. So how do you mitigate that? Positive, positive outlooks. Look yourself in the mirror. Don't compare yourself to social media, Hollywood, TV, and all this other bullshit. Focus on doing you and not looking at yourself in the mirror and judging yourself. Stay positive when things get bad. Yes, life sucks, but guess, guess what the leading cause of growth, personal growth and development is? It's failure. It's sucking. It's having a shitty day because the following day when you come out of that, you're going to be better off for it. So have more positive outlooks. Be more of an optimist when it comes to your life because everybody's going through shit. Every, everybody's going through a situation that sucks. This sucks. That sucks. And if you have the outlook like, I'm just going to compound and stack this crap until it destroys me, I'm going to gain 100 pounds over the next year. Who says that to themselves? Who goes, you know what? I I think my uh, long-term goals are gaining 100 pounds, uh, getting acne, uh, becoming uh, morbidly obese, and uh, dropping out of school. That's going to be a good outlook for me. Well, a lot of people go down those uh, rabbit holes and they lead themselves to those positions where they go, how the fuck did I get here? So if you're going down that road, completely change your perspective. And I don't care if you trick fuck yourself. I don't care if you have you know, a tactic where you use reverse psychology and false motivation to get through your day. That is better than having a not negative outlook and destroying your life from the inside out. Another thing is, uh, another element in mitigating stress is staying conscious. Uh, I always use this analogy in stay, staying conscious. Imagine your brain is like a, a log cabin in the mountains. And I like to use that analogy because I like the mountains and I like log cabins. Um, but imagine that the world in which you perceive it or see it is outside of that cabin. So you got, go out on your front deck, right? You go outside and you look at the world around you and you see things. You know, you see horses that are running through your pasture or your field and you're like, you know, this is majestic. This is awesome. This is amazing. But what happens when there's something negative? Let's say it's, let's say it's leading up to something negative. It's that, that, that 
black, dark figure, that, that shadowy figure that comes out of the woods and it starts walking across the open field. And then you look at it and you see it and you know it's coming. But then based on your negative outlook, based on, your, on the fact that you have low self-esteem, you look at it and you go, oh shit. You're like, oh shit, it's coming. You know, it's, it's impending doom. So what do you do? Well, you know what you, most people do is they evacuate the front deck. Yep, they, get, they go back into the house, they slam the door, and they hide behind that door. They look through the shades, and they still see that figure coming. And then they get nervous and scared and fearful. And you know what they do? They run back into the back bedroom. And then they lock that door. And then they, they look through the crack, and they still see it coming. It's stepping up on the front deck. And then they ignore it. They run into that closet of that back room of that log cabin, and they hide. And they... they, they they get the blanket and pull it over them, thinking that's going to protect them. Living in this false reality, instead of addressing the problem, instead of dealing with it, instead of being optimistic. And so when we do that, we, ret- we retreat in the back of our mind. Now, that's the long-range version of that, right? That's the romanticized version of that. Imagine now you're going through your everyday life, and you're just living your life, and then shit hits the fan, Right? A dude T-bones your, your car and everybody inside the vehicle is injured. Your wife is bleeding in your lap. Her, her femur is broken. And now you have to figure out how to deal with that. What are you going to do? Well, some people who aren't prepared to deal with that, who hide in the back of their minds, when it's scary, they'll go retreat there. That's a fight or flight mechanism. That is the flight mechanism of survival. They'll hide. And then what do you do? Your, your wife is laying in your lap and she dies because you're too much of a pussy to come out in the front deck and address life? Because that's the reality, right? But you don't face that reality because it's not real until it's real. Well, speaking from somebody who's faced that reality and has had to step up to the plate, I'm telling you, you don't want to live living blindly to that fact, not being prepared and then it slaps you across the face and completely ruins your life. And then you regret the rest of your life going, hell, if I only prepared, or if I only had a more resilient mindset, or if I only stayed conscious. The alternative is you go out on that front porch or that front deck, and then you address the issues that you see in your everyday life. That shadowy shitbag figure comes out of the woodline. You shout across uh, the field, who the fuck are you? Why are you walking towards me? What's going on? Is there something I can help you with? And address those long-term issues before those guys get on your front deck. Also, in the heat of the moment, stay conscious. The great thing about the first and second thing I told you about, breathing and a positive outlook, the greatest thing about that is the fact that if you breathe and you stay positive, you are staying conscious on the forefront of your mind. Because when you breathe deliberately, you have to stay conscious. It's an element in mindfulness, right? It's an element in meditation. And so also when you're communicating to yourself, hey man, it's okay. Everything's gonna be all right. You are staying on the forefront of your mind and that allows you to stay conscious to be able to stay awake. Because if you're in the back room in the back closet, you can't make good decisions to get you through that situation. You can't go, okay, your wife has been injured. There's a tourniquet in your, uh, in your glove box, your center console on your visor. You need to pull that tourniquet and save her life. This is how you do it. Go through the motions. 
You can't do that if you're hiding in the closet like a coward. But if you're on your front deck, if you're aware, you're breathing, you're calming yourself down, you can get through it. And that's what I want you to focus on. You know, stress kills us. You know, the, more, the uh, obesity rate in the United States of America is 39.7. The CDC reports that. I would, th- I would like to think the CDC wants to inflate the numbers pointed in a positive light to make them look better because they're making all the recommendations. But 39.7, despite the BMI like, uh, you know, controversy, is a shit ton of people. So that's like, you know, every couple people you see, um, they're, half of those people are going to be obese. And that completely is uh, because of, of, of stress. It's, it's completely because of, of diet, nutrition, lack of sleep, all these things, all these factors that really will matter when shit hits the fan. And, and ultimately is what I want you to care about. You know, when you look at 100 million people suffering from diabetes type 2 or are pre-diabetic, meaning in the next five years they'll be type 2 diabetic, that should uh, mean something to you. That should be an alarming rate. When 600,000 uh, people die a year of cardiovascular disease, that should scare the shit out of you. And so... When you look at that and you care about that and you get a healthy lifestyle, you eat right, you sleep right, you just live right, that's going to be the best likelihood of you succeeding and surviving when a catastrophe or shit hits the fan. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm focusing on in this podcast. You know, I break down, I got a whole bunch of acronyms and I'll, I'll, I won't bore you with the, uh, uh, the, the crap ton list that I have. I'll focus on a couple. One of those uh, acronyms is OPS. It's Observe, Prepare, Survive. You know, OPS is is cool because it's better than SOP or POS. So I try to I manipulate it and it's OPS. But Observe, Prepare, Survive is a template. You know, acronyms are templates for you to be able to think through processes when you're stressed out. There's a reason that pilots have acronyms when they go through their checklist. Because I actually studied this in depth. You know, before when you used to fly the seat of your pants, meaning you just flew off of instinct, when you had things that happened or compounded themselves in emergency procedures, you kind of went through things. And when you went through things, depending on your experience and your background, you didn't have a clear methodology and a protocol. You kind of try to work through things and then emotions got involved and then it completely... Uh, disrupted your ability to think clearly and quickly, which is important, obviously, in an emergency procedure in an aircraft. So they actually looked at this and studied it and decided before World War uh, II that we, they needed to implement protocol and pre-checklist, but in emergency protocol when something happened bad, that they went through that list and they went, okay, X is happening, I have to do Y in order to be successful. And that, that increased... Uh, the probability of survival. So when you're stressed out and you don't have a reference for information, it's very good to have an acronym as backup to get you through it. Because you go, oh shit, uh, ops. Mike said ops. What do I have to do? Okay, oh, observe. You know, observe is maintaining situational awareness, right? What I mean is, let's say you're, you know, I use a Starbucks analogy. You're in Starbucks, everybody goes in there, they get in their coffee and they hear popping, or what sounds like fireworks outside the business. Do you just blow that off? I mean, most people would. If you live in New York City where there's construction, if you live 
in a uh, an urban city where there's vehicles backfiring, you might just go, oh yeah, that's just uh, that's just exhaust backfiring, and then you just blow it off, and then you you kind of go back your, to your complacent routine. But what if it's not? So when you observe, you're actually paying attention, not just in looking, but observing. There's a difference. You know, when I was a sniper and I'm I'm looking through glass, you could look through glass and stare at a ridgeline all day, or when you're observing, you could have a deliberate, narrow focus of consciousness that's observing and scanning through your optic, uh, through your uh, observation, to allow you to take in information, which is a big difference. So when you're observing, you're using your senses and taking in information, that means something. So let's say you hear the same stuff and you just don't blow it off. You go, oh, uh, the better example, let's say you're upstairs and you hear a noise downstairs. And just blow it off. You're like, oh, that's just my cat or my dog or my kids. What if it's not? And so most of of the reason we don't get up is because we're lazy. We're just fucking lazy. We just don't want to get off our ass to address what's going on because we're comfortable. We're in our PJs. You know, we're watching Netflix. We're watching Homeland. We don't get up and miss what's going on. But what if instead you observed, you took in the information, and despite your complacency, you overrode it. And you said, you know what? I'm going to prepare. I'm going to actually do something here that means something to confirm or deny what the noise was. It was a noise. It happened. So let me just confirm or deny it. So I prepare. I might grab my gun, my SIG 220 uh, 45 full-size pistol with a, a TLR light is my nightstand gun. It's a 45. It's got a light on it. It's got a 45 full metal jacket so it can go through walls. Uh, don't have kids to worry about. Uh, so I, I'm not concerned for with overpenetration. I go through the house, I clear, and then I confirm or deny what it is. And that leads you to the survive. You know, a lot of people in life nowadays are comfortable with complacency because it feels fucking good. What, what doesn't feel better than freedom? The only thing I'm saying is be aware that things that happen in your life, that sixth sense where you f- have a feeling, pay attention to those things. It doesn't even have to be a sixth sense. You could hear something. Well, if you hear something, pay attention to it. If you see somebody um, and they're displaying erratic behavior, are you just going to blow that off? Well, are you going to pull your cell phone out and start recording? Are you going to walk towards uh, the gunfire with your cell phone because you want to capture it? Or are you going to be smart? You're going to observe and go, hey, that sounds like gunfire. I don't have a gun on me. I want to get my family out of here as soon as possible. I'm going to police them up and get the hell out of here by preparing and then surviving. I mean, it's, it's not difficult to do. You know, in modern survival, I break it down into a few, a few different elements. One is mindset. Uh, mindset is critical to survival. When you think about the 100 million um, uh, neurological processes that, or trillion neurological processes that take, take place in your mind, it's important to understand the way your brain works is off of capacity, off of tidbits. What I mean by that is, Let's say, let's say you have 100 tidbits of information. Neurologists have determined that, like if, you, if you're in conversation with one, one another, if you're communicating, you're listening, you're observing behavior, you know, you're thinking ahead, you're, you're communicating uh, back and forth, that takes about 60% of your overall capacity, meaning your overall processes, leaving you with about 40% in order to be able to be situationally aware. So what happens? 
Well, when you get in a stressful situation you've never been into before, you peak out your capacity. It's why people do dumb shit in, uh, in fight or flight situations. It's, it's why people, instead of running away from danger, you know, walk back and forth in shock, scream, fall on their ass, start crying. There's a reason that you're doing these different things is because you're maxing that capacity. Well, the lesson learned in mindset is the more you train, the more resilient you become, the more capacity you free in order for you to go, hey, what do I have to do here? What decisions do I have to make? How can I uh, cognitively deal with this and make the right decision to get me out of this? So the whole point is in mindset, you want to build a resilient mindset that's going to set you up for freeing capacity to be able to survive. So many people get overwhelmed well, instead of being overwhelmed and going, hey, let me just write that off as genetics or just a bad, I, I just can't deal with it. Instead of, instead of that, look at what specifically you could do to enable yourself to free up that capacity to survive. And the next element is equipment. Equipment is a facilitator of survival. Look, you're in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Montana, and you, you get you know, snowed out of your car, you have nowhere to go, and you're exposed to the elements. I don't care how good your survival skills, if you can't build a fire, you can't seek shelter, you can't get out of the elements, you're going to die of hypothermia really fast. You're just going to go to sleep, you're going to get real cold, your body's going to suppress all the oxygen, you're going to get real sleepy, you'll go to sleep, and then you'll never wake up. Uh, no matter how resilient your mind is, there's instances where Without the equipment, you're not going to survive. But in some situations, you could have all the equipment in the world. You could have a yacht with all the cool, you know, you got the life raft, you got the preservers, you got all this cool, fancy stuff. Well, if you make dumb decisions because you don't have the capacity, that's not going to save your ass. You know, that, talking about that guy who jumped off the boat, bypassed the preserver, jumped in the water thinking he was going to get on the boat when he was in the water and then he can't swim and he drowns, that no, no matter how much equipment you have, it, it's not going to facilitate survival. It's an integral part, obviously, of uh, survival, but it facilitates it. You can't have um, one without the other. Um, skill sets. Your individual skill sets are going to be a, a, a determining factor in your ability to survive. You get in a vehicle accident. You don't have um, you don't have a tourniquet, and you break your femur and compromise your femoral artery. Well, you're just going to bleed out in your in your vehicle in the middle of a city street before the ambulance gets there. That's the reality of of that kind of bleed. I've seen it happen in real, in real life. It really sucks that a twenty nine ninety nine dollar piece of equipment, five minutes of training, and you could have had something in your vehicle that could have saved your life or your family's life. That's important to pay attention to. What skill sets you go after or you understand is important as well. I mean, yeah, you could be a national match pistol competitor and know how to shoot the X out of bullseye targets. But if you don't know how to run and gun with a pistol in self-defense or in gunfighting to save your life, then you might be at a huge disadvantage. So stacking your skill sets is also a recipe for success and survival. Planning and rehearsal. Most often and most neglected is the preparation phase and the planning. Look, the shit's not sexy. Planning is not sexy. When I was in ranger school and SF training and you know, even in war, 
getting all these contingencies, flushing out all the stuff sucked. I mean, I remember doing course of action development with my team sergeant during a deliberate operation in Afghanistan. He made us do course of action development where he had to do this like a matrix and designing the best course of action, pros, cons, you know, all these measures of success. And it sucked. But then I realized when we were on the operation, how critical it was to flush that stuff out. I was just here with a Mayhem Syndicate and uh, CAGWorks, and we're working on a project on how to uh, take over an industry. And it's difficult. You want to make big, bold moves? It takes hours and hours, maybe days, maybe weeks, maybe even years to flush out a plan in order to be the best, to identify all the contingencies. You know, I, I was always impressed by U.S. Army Special Forces, Green Beret specifically, and the military decision-making process because it's so detail-oriented. I mean, it's so freaking crazy how all the subcategories of every single thing you have to analyze. And we have something called a PACE plan, Primary Alternate Contingency and Emergency. It's a method in which everything we make a plan for and identify service support to back up that plan, we create an alternate plan just in case. And if that wasn't good enough, we do a contingency, which is the third backup, and then an emergency, which is the fourth backup. So it's, it's really important to understand that preparation, which is planning, has to be an integral part to your life if you want to succeed, if you want to live. You know, uh, when it comes to uh, skill sets, I break down skill sets into everyday carry, everyday mobility, survival, decision-making, training, and then experience. If you, do, if you have skill sets, like if you're, if you're a, a guy or a gal and you come to my gunfighter pistol course, what I tell them is like, hey, you're going to retain 20, 30% of the tactics or techniques that I teach you. And it's really cool for the gram, for Facebook, for social media. But if you don't walk away and implement those skill sets or those fundamentals into your training game, then it's all for nothing. Because you better believe all that stuff will eventually wipe clear of your mind. It is very perishable as a skill. And so even me, as somebody who's you know got 20 plus years of doing this and gunfighting and training and all this stuff, I have to stay up on my skill sets on my own in order to be uh, good, in order to feel good about my skill sets. So if you're just tuning in on, uh, on, the, on the Instagram live feed, I will be asking a few questions when we get to the end of this podcast, but I will share this live for 24 hours but also it would be on the podcast, the Phil Kraft Survival Podcast. And um, you guys could always reference that. You can get it on iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, I'm kind of doing the consolidated version of my seminar, um, just having some uh, takeaways. Um, I, I want you guys to be prepared and, uh, and think about what it means to be uh, prepared for the worst case scenario. It is very difficult to take a comfortable person in their everyday life and their pattern you know, and, and, and it's, it's especially somebody who's successful, right? Take them out of their comfort zone and say, hey, listen, you, you're not prepared. In fact, the more successful you are, uh, the more efficient you, might, you may be, the more complacent you actually may be. Because the more comfortable you get in your pattern of life, anything that disrupts that routine, because that routine leads to efficiency, what often leads to success, or you know, on the on the uh, contra- in the contrast, it could lead to just you petering out. It's like tracer burnout, where you're just circling the drain. 
either or the far left and right versions of that, you are getting more complacent from your reality because you're living a set pattern. So then you become uncomfortable with anything that disrupts that pattern. And so you're the guy who goes, yeah, I want to get into the outdoors, but you never go outdoors. So then you go camping and you're like, this sucks. It's like, yeah, but does it really suck? Or is it just you're uncomfortable with being uncomfortable? Because when you come out of the, the, the toughest situations and the toughest, toughest experience, they usually lend the most growth, but also the best memories. I mean, the biggest suck fest of my life, Ranger School being one of them, you know, 18 years old going to Ranger School, it sucked, but it had a profound impact on my life. And that was just a couple months. So when I think about uh, life, and I think about how comfortable I am, I have to force myself to get outside my comfort zone in order to build that resiliency. There's a reason CrossFit is really popular. It's not because all these people want to get super fit. It's because what it does to you mentally and physically and retaining your resiliency. You know, you come away from CrossFit, and I, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of CrossFit because uh, I've injured myself several times. But let's say you do a, a, a wad and it lasts, a workout of the day lasts an hour. Let's say it lasts an hour. You walk away from that and it sucked. You gut checked yourself, meaning you several times during that workout said, I wanna, I'm done. I can't do this. But you, you got through it. And then you have this level of a new level of pride when you walk away from that. That's why it's become such a cult, tribe, clan where people stick together like they've been part of something. Because as we survived from that mass extinction 75,000 years ago, well, there's something to be said about suffering with others, about surviving, about becoming more resilient. You know, that 2-2 SAS operator in Kenya, think about it. He's going about his everyday life. He's training dudes. I've been there. I've been to Africa. I've trained uh, counterterrorism forces in Africa. I'm hanging out, going about my routine. It's not uncomfortable. I mean, you live pretty well, in, even in Africa. Well, you're hanging out, and all of a sudden, you hear gunshots. And then you find out people are dying. And so you have a choice. Because in some instances, it's not going to be that people are dying. It could be your family. It could be your friends. It could be your tribe. And then what do you do? What do you do when you drive by a school and there's nobody around and you hear gunshots? What are the actions that you take in a defining moment? Like we're not talking about, you know, oh yeah, you, you drive by an accident, it was a fender bender, or, you know, I hope everybody's okay. Or there's a serious accident, I'm going to drive by and then I'm just going to do my thing. I'm talking about something so significant that it could change and alter your life forever. What are you going to do? You're in a classroom in school, yet nobody wants to talk about this, right? Because it's, it's like it's, it's, uh, people who think it's fear-mongering. No, it's not. It's fucking reality. What do you do when you're in school in class and you hear gunshots and they're getting closer? The Virginia Tech shooter went classroom to classroom executing students on their knees. That's not fear-mongering. That's fucking reality. A human being did that because they were mentally fucked and they made moves to do something like that. And then what are you going to do? Ignore it? Hope for the best? Pray for the best? Well, guess what? 
the best hoping in the world is not going to get you through that situation. But you know what will? Being prepared prior knowing that's a potential reality. And so that 2-2 SAS operator, he, he hears the gunshots, he finds out that people are dying, and he has a decision to make. Am I going to step up to the plate and save human beings to preserve life, or am I going to, am I going to ignore it? And yeah, you could hide from the world and go, yeah, yeah, you know, the security situation, you know, police officers have done it before in active shootings. Like, oh, I was waiting on for backup or our protocol is to stand outside by a tree where I have uh, cover and waiting for the uh, troops to arrive. Shame on that fucking cop. Shame on, those, uh, on a soldier. Shame on a civilian. Shame on anybody who has a decision to make to preserve life and they don't make the decision to do it. Shame on them. I don't care if, if nobody else is going to call anybody else on it. I'll fucking do it. Because the reality is, if we have people in our lives who aren't willing to step up, then who the fuck will? It's that uh, Bible quote. It's like, who will go send me? That's the reality that you have to look at, not in just f- in defending your community, but defending yourself. What do you do when somebody kicks in your front door? You have kids, you have a wife, and, and it's just you. You are the shield between your family, your loved ones, and evil. There are evil fucking people in this world. It's like, how do we address mass shootings? Mass shootings are, are uh, uh, you know, outlined as any, any uh, shooting that has three or more casualties, even though domestic uh, you know, inner city crime is is more substantial and prevalent in numbers and people dying. Yeah, mass shooting has been a, a politicized uh, element to our to our society. But are, are, do we really want to address what the fucking issue is? The issue is we have people who are mentally unstable, which is another issue in itself. But we look at the guns as the issue. Well, I've never seen a gun pick itself up and kill anybody. But I've seen plenty of people pick up guns, drive vehicles, blow up bombs, and kill a lot of people. So how do we fix the problem? Well, some people say that the problem is we get rid of guns. Okay, so if you get rid of guns, it's been proven that even if your state annihilates every law allowing guns for people, uh, for for, citizens who are law-abiding, that you still are going to have criminals, thugs, murderers, mass murderers who go in and kill innocent people because your law isn't followed by those fucking people. But people who are mentally insane and who want to commit casualties aren't going to do it. But when they plan, and the majority of them do plan, when they plan, they know the weaknesses. So if you put a school officer who's there to defend the weak, he knows that. The person who's committing that act has already, has already cased it and understands exactly where that person is. And what do they do? They kill them. They shoot them. And then they kill as many people, innocent people, as they can. So then what are, what are the alternatives? Well, the alternatives are you don't, you don't have to arm everybody. But all you have to say is, hey, you know, everybody has a right to bear arms. You have your concealed carry license. If you're a teacher, you have a right to do that. You're a citizen, even though you're a teacher. Carry. You don't have to define it as you will carry. Just say, hey, if you, if you carry, you carry. If, if you don't, you don't. 
So then when the person, and then advertise it. So then the person who's thinking about committing an act knows that there potentially is somebody armed there that's going to defend life, then it stops the act before it even happens, at least in that specific situation. So if we have a society, which we are an armed society, there's no debate. There is, we are an armed society. You're not going to get rid of guns. Then I, I, I guarantee you, the mentality you have when you're in Arizona, where everybody carries, is a different mentality than you have when you're in California, where you know nobody carries. You know any road rage incidents? I've had a gun pulled on me in California. How many road rage incidents where people have threatened me with like putting their hand near like their waistband like they have a gun or being really violent and obscene because nobody fucking carries there. But you're in Phoenix, everybody has a gun. And so you're, you're very respectful when you know the entire society is armed, that you can't get away. There is no uh, way you can get away. And there's consequence from being a dick or pulling a gun on somebody or threatening somebody's life. So, you know, when I talk about being your own first responder, it's just being self-reliant. It's being a fucking adult. I mean, you're, you have the luxury of living in freedom, and that's awesome. That's amazing. It's like, what are you going to do with that, though? Are you going to just ignore the realities of the world we live in, or are you actually going to take life serious? Now, most people can uh, confuse being prepared and with somehow being anxious or being hypervigilant, but the reality is the more you're trained, the more confident you are, the better your self-esteem is to be able to take care of your life to be able to take care of your family and your children and sustain yourself. I mean, when I, when I learned to jar, for example, I'm like, man, I could take vegetables that I grow in my own garden. I could jar them. I could, I'm not talking about high-speed shit like drawing a gun off a pro timer and having a, a quick draw time on a target. I'm talking about jarring my own food. Now I know I could sustain life with farming, agriculture, sustaining uh, long-term food sources, building a fire, building a shelter, understanding survival, working in med. And that's the point of the company. The point of Philcraft Survival is to be able to do that, learn the skill sets, and give you a start point. I don't care if you, if you uh, spend a, a shit ton of money with me. What I want you to do is understand that, hey, maybe we could be the fire that ignites your ass to get up off of it and do something to prepare yourself. Whether that's putting a med kit in your vehicle, in your home, um, you know, having one on your person, having a, a responsible uh, concealed carry holder where you, you take the courses, you everyday carry, you have the tourniquet, then that's enough for me. I just want you to be prepared because I understand what happens when you're not. I understand what it looks like when you go into something without preparation and then you fail. And you fail, and the consequence of that failure isn't you get another chance at it, but the consequence of that failure is potentially life-altering where you never get another chance. Hey, guys, I hope you like this podcast. You know, PhilCraftSurvival.com is where you can find everything that we're doing. I just did this on a live feed on at Mike.a.glover. This podcast is uh, uh, on iTunes and SoundCloud. You guys could check out all the episodes. We're in the 50s on podcasts, so you can go back. We talk about everyday carry, everyday mobility, med, mindset, everything. I also have a podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, SoundCloud called Modern Mindset 365. In fact, I just dropped an episode yesterday 
on self-identity. I'm always flushing this stuff out. It's my responsibility. On IGTV, on Phil, at Philcraft Survival, which is our Instagram, our Facebook, or YouTube, our Twitter, you can go on there and get educational videos on how to make a survival candle, how to jar your own food, how to do everyday carry, all that good stuff. Today, I'm going to do a video, and uh, we're going to do a video on our, our Go Rig Challenge. If you haven't tuned in, our Go Rig Challenge is I'm taking a, my truck that's built out. I have a, uh, uh, I just added a fuel tank that's a 100-gallon fuel tank. Actually, combined with my fuel tank, it's a 110-gallon fuel tank uh, provided by a, a company called Transfer Flow, transferflow.com, that allows me to drive 2,200 miles on one tank of gas. I'm going to sustain life from here to the Canadian border and show you how to live off your rig, how to survive when the worst case scenario happens. Because the reality is, in many instances, when you're looking at your go rig, it should be an extension of your individual capability and capacity. If I have a tourniquet in my uh, inside the waistband holster made by Philcraft, when I look at my rig, I want to have a go bag full of trauma kit, full of stuff that could help my family or mass casualty. And so that go rig challenge, we're going to flush out a whole bunch of stuff. You could see those videos also on, on IGTV uh, at Philcraft Survival's IGTV. I appreciate you guys, and if uh, you're listening to this podcast and you got feedback for us, you like what you, you hear, leave feedback, subscribe. Um, everything that you do for us is appreciated because without your support, we couldn't do what we do at Philcraft Survival. Thanks, guys. I hope you guys have a good weekend. Uh, until next time, stay alert, stay alive.